Welcome to Paulas, a podcast about real life experiences from the mouths of legit working class people. Welcome back to yet another episode of Paulas. So today is a bit different than usual. We are joined by another special guest who you may remember, who will reveal herself very soon. Uh, also, this is a collaborative episode um, between us and the Tenants' Union, which again, you'll also hear about a little bit more in a minute. So we'll be minding our P's and Q's on this one, um, be oh so professional, and uh, yeah, so over to Rachel to explain a little bit more about what this is. Oh, there you go, spoiler alert, it's Rachel. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so today we are going to be talking all about housing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for a great intro. Um, massively big reveal. <laughs> um, really excited to be back. Um, yeah, so uh, this time I'm here on behalf of Tenants Union, um, which is a uh, network of branches um, of tenants and renters currently in Greater Manchester, um, who kind of come together, um, designed specifically to um, kind of develop the capacity and knowledge of tenants and renters to tackle their own housing issues, um, to build a movement, um, and to kind of have power and access to safe and secure homes. Um, so we're a campaigning union and um, I work as a community organiser there and I am uh, employed on a project that is the Renters Manifesto which concentrates on um, creating a network of branches across Greater Manchester to come together and produce a manifesto of kind of policy ideas or things to campaign around um, around housing in Greater Manchester. So that will be done by March 2021, so pretty early days but yeah in the kind of exciting recruitment phase at the moment but kind of limited because of corona so we've decided to make this exciting podcast series and webinar series instead um which is a way for us to engage on on lots of the different um wider social inequalities that intersect with housing um yeah and and kind of be part of a a wider conversation and invite tenants and, and renters to be a part of that Those who listened to the last episode, you will have had a bit of an intro to what unions are. If not, shame, shame if you haven't listened to it. Um, (laughs) But uh, for those who haven't, yes, shame, but also we probably just need to do a little bit of an intro. So, Rachel, can you break down for us what it means to, um, you know, be part of the renters union, please? Yep. So when you become a part of Tenants Union UK... Um, we help facilitate your creation of a local branch. Um, so what that means is that it's a group of people in your local area. You probably meet at each other's houses or a specific kind of local community centre. Um, and we will help facilitate you to kind of develop the leadership and the capacity to work together to campaign on housing related issues in your area. Um, so because we've got kind of an established brand, also having our kind of um, brand or logo or work behind you um, maybe when speaking to the council for example or speaking to kind of other officials and um, we will help with stuff like that so basically it's, it's a lot of it is about solidarity I think that that is basically what unions are founded on um, we just kind of want to transform unjust housing policies and practices that are going on and um, so the work is kind of grounded in the conviction that tenants and renters must be active participants in the transformation of of their own lives basically that sometimes um 
not sometimes, all the time, we, we know that, particularly for working class communities, that people make decisions about their lives that have quite negative consequences and impacts and actually they aren't consulted or if they are, then it's in a really tokenistic way. Um, so being part of a union kind of gives back you back some control, I think, in and some autonomy in kind of creating the, the environment that you would like to see. So, yeah, as I said, the reason that we created this kind of podcast and webinar series is to explore more of the intersections of wider social inequality and, and how that they're a cause and a symptom of, of a broken housing system. Um, and I think that a lot of that, a lot of, really interestingly, I find it really interesting, I don't know about other people, of, of where the kind of class and housing association comes from, particularly in a personal perspective, be I'm from a massive council state and that's really important to me and it's really important to my identity. Um, and I think that housing and class have always been in, interlinked in that way. And I'm really interested in what people think around displacement and how people's identity um, is kind of created around the physical place that they live in. And yeah, and I, as I said before, the, the decisions about them are being, about housing in particular, are... Um, are made far removed from people's lives who live on estates or whatever. Yeah, I think we've all spoken to each other and in general a lot and lot about housing, uh, housing and estate. And I think we did a, a zine a long time ago that was Neighbourhood and Community, which I think featured a lot of stuff about housing as well. And it was like you were saying there, Rachel, about how it isn't just where somebody lives like it is part of your identity which I know we've discussed a lot about and it is part of like a community as well so it isn't just simply where you live or anything like that yeah and I think one of the the big sort of um intersections I guess of class and housing is it really shapes your identity if you feel like you could be simply moved at any time and this idea that you are almost um, a commodity that can be moved by somebody else when they want you to be moved where they want you to move to as if you are a problem um and i think growing up with that sort of over you and that risk and that threat um especially you know in a world where if you don't have the rent or you know, you can't keep up with other debts, um, you might have debtors, etc. I think having that as, you know, part of your identity and, and a part of a fear, um, you know, that, that you have growing up, uh, you know, housing becomes this thing that you don't feel like is yours, you know, you need to grow up feeling safe. And, you know, you have the, first of all, the, the initial thing of being safe in your house, does it feel like yours? Um, and then the second thing of if you are put in an environment that you didn't choose um, do you feel safe there as well you know do you know your neighbours or um, is it a constant state of flux I think that's a big um, intersection really of, of class um, and housing as well yeah I, d I definitely when, when you just mentioned the kind of like does it belong to me um that kind of feeling like this place isn't mine it could be taken me from me at any moment like personally and professionally have like thoughts and reflections on that yeah. I think I just kind of um 
like laughing to myself thinking about my dad being like oh we're not going to make any like fancy adjustments to the house because it's the councils and we don't want to like waste our money on doing that because we're just gonna have to give it back to them anyway so just kind of like not putting all of your effort into kind of making um making your like living space the most exciting place to be because you know that it doesn't belong to you is quite like a a weird a weird feeling and yeah I, I guess I guess Manchester is like a, a really good example of of how people get to be moved and displaced that again we've had extensive conversations about um but yeah at Tenants Union we've had like loads of um loads of conversations with people who've, who've had to be moved and I did in my previous role as well um particularly in places like Ancoats and, and North Manchester um it's getting pretty it's getting pretty crazy the kind of the kind of displacement of people and even like the physical um I don't know I don't know how if, if you've heard much about it Selena and I think we might have had a chat about it before that on some maps they've taken Collyhurst off um that like what? yeah so <laughs> I heard they've not made it new Islington. I think they've extended it to be part of Ancoats. I'm not oh. I'm not quite sure what what um what place it comes under, but a few years ago I met a group of kind of like elderly residents of Collyhurst who grew up in Collyhurst who were like going into schools um because they were quite like rightly annoyed that new maps of Manchester didn't have Collyhurst on. Um almost as if like that whole history had been erased and they were going to yeah they're going to like primary schools to talk about the history of Collyhurst and stuff um yeah so it's like again like who gets to make that decision who gets to make the decision that like you know this place doesn't exist anymore um when actually that's fundamental to someone's identity like someone like this group of people who who feel it's so important to them that they should go into schools to talk about it. That's yeah, ridiculous. That is really, really ridiculous that you could just erase a whole place and, you know, like forcing people again to have that conversation of, oh, I've not heard of that before. Oh, it used to be there. Again, like it's been tidied up or being cleared away. And, you know, again, what? how does that make you feel as a person? Because I think, yeah, it's weird because I feel like... South Manchester has been having this for a very, very long time, and it's spreading out into other areas like Levenshoom's its next big target of gentrification. But living in North Manchester, I've lived in North Manchester pretty much all my life, and I've seen it happen in places where I used to live, but where I'm currently living, I feel like I'm, it's not going to happen to me. It's going to take a long time for that to happen, but I see it happening like communities and neighbourhoods around me, and it's, it is this weird thing of, like... It is. It does feel like people are just moving in, and taking over and moving people on. And where do these people go? Like I said, it's not. It is like where people live. It's a community. It's a sense of identity, and you can't just move them from one area to another and be like, "That's fine," because it's not. I know. I know people who don't even know that North Manchester exists. They've never even heard of areas in North Manchester. They're like, "Where's that? It's so far away." I'm like, "It's literally ten minutes down the road." Um, and to think, is that? idea that people can just be moved around as if where they've laid their roots doesn't have any meaning or doesn't really matter yeah Yeah, I don't know no it's gross you know who has the right to tell somebody that 
okay, now you're going to go there and your kids are going to have to be uprooted from school and, um, you know, you're going to have loads of costs associated with setting up in a new house or you're going to lose all the money that you spent on the current house that you had or anything like that. And, and it ties back into that, doesn't it, of if you um, if you put time and effort into your place that it could be taken away, then you've got the, the two sides of it. So like your dad said, there's, there's sort of no, no point in making it to that, to that standard because it's theirs, but also... What if you have as well? <laughs> what if you've put yeah. a lot of money into it? Especially like long-term ones, you know? And it might be that just at some point a whole estate gets signed on to, you know, some development project and then all of a sudden everything shifts. Like, you know, older people, for example, who've been in that house, they've brought the kids up in that house, you know, they've got all these memories and then and then that's it, right? Okay, then doesn't matter about your individual story you are a person in a box that we have decided you are not allowed to be in that box anymore. And it's as simple as that. Yeah. We kind of seen it in Rochdale. There's a branch of Tenants Union in Rochdale and um, they are demolishing the Lower Phalange estate and the Seven Sisters Tower Blocks. Um, And I think, you know, I'm not saying or we're not saying that communities don't need you know investment for their physical infrastructure or like maybe some like regeneration but you can do regeneration without affecting people's yeah like you said affecting people's lives and and having to uproot them so I think the the problem is also the uncertainty that people are having to face of being like well where am I gonna live next like you said Selena like there'll be people in South Manchester that like have never been to North Manchester in their life and it's like I mean, one, I'm not surprised because you'd have to get, like, four buses. But <laughs> also, like, places are completely different worlds to people. And, like, yeah, it, it's it's crazy I to think, think that. That's yeah. definitely what you were saying. It's that whole people, like, but regeneration, you know, like, when you say somewhere's been gentrified. And it's like, we're not saying you should, because there's so many, like, inner cities and small towns in the UK that need investment they need looking after but there's putting money into something that is going to benefit the people that are already there and then there's putting money in something that's going to push those people out for example Ancoats I grew up in Miles Platin if you go to Ancoats now yeah it was just like there wasn't much there there was some old mills there was some houses there was a retail park there was a dirty canal and yeah now it has got all these like amazing fancy little shops and things like that but it's like yeah they're great but and you've invested it and it looks better but is this for the people that are already there that have lived there for many many years or is it not and I think the answer it's not and that is something that I'm seeing in 11 June little shops popping up and everyone's like this is great I'm like but these are out pricing these are places that the people who live in these communities cannot afford to shop in so how is this benefiting those communities if it's just making them feel like they're not welcome and I think that's what happens often. And that's yeah. what gets me annoyed. Yeah, no, I, I think I read, I can't remember where I read it, that there was an article um, from by somebody from London, basically, who was told that they should move to Manchester and that Levin June was the new Hackney of the North. Um, and I've got, like, friends of friends who were going on house viewings in Levin June and there's, like, 20 other people on the house viewing. And it's, like, you know one or two houses are up for like 300 grand in Levengeam and it's it's like what like if you'd have if you'd have told people that from especially from Levengeam but if you'd have told people that in like the 90s or the early 2000s that it'd be 300 grand for a house in Levy, they'd be like what 
it, I think another big worry of mine as well is these areas. So these areas are usually areas where houses are cheap, which usually they are either bought by landlords to rent out to students because that's easy money. Yeah. They're also in areas that are really close to communities that are kind of ethnic minorities and people of colour. Mm. So, for example, Levin Dunes right next door to Longside. That's where my family have lived since the 1950s. It's got a huge um, Asian and Caribbean community there and it's kind of like are they going to eventually get squashed out mm -hmm. by places either side like kind of gentrifying them it's the same with like you were saying like Collyhurst and these want to build this huge thing from town to wherever again that's going to affect Collyhurst um the surrounding areas Crumpsall probably and then later leading on to things like Cheetah Mill which again are areas where it predominantly like people of colour live so again, it's yeah. like working class people and working class people of colour and people of colour, again, are at the kind of bottom of the housing food chain, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think as like we've already seen that in my side, that that's happening in like in most of different ways. And one of the campaigns that um, the local branch in Mossad are focusing on is Airbnb. Um, I'd like, I don't know if you've seen a lot of the stuff about Airbnb in my side but there's they're taking like old three bedroom houses like terrace houses are just on streets in my side you know the the kind of like victorian houses um and making them into 16 bedroom airbnbs um 16 they, bedroom six, 16 bedroom and i think and like Wild. you know charging something like ridiculous like 1200 pound a night to stay there and if you look at the adverts they're like not saying that it's my side they're saying just a short walk from the Whitworth Gallery or, nice. or whatever. Yeah, because obviously Moss Side has a reputation in the 90s. Was it Gunchester? You know, all of it's associated. Yeah, yeah. but I, again, like, it's a complete erasure of what of what Moss Side, like the culture of Moss Side and, and, and also alongside that, they're building um, on Princess Parkway where the old stagecoach bus depot was. Um, they're building lots of new flats and I think I'm right in thinking that they've said that um so I think there's like little parts that they're like picking and choosing they're changing the postcode boundaries or they're changing like the ward boundaries and stuff so it says that things that are actually in my side are in in Wally Range and yeah just really like not just like as you said like really squashing um communities like particularly places like Longsite and Mossside, which, you know, are really working class. Yeah. That's already yeah. The university is yeah. moving out, pushing everyone yeah. away. Yeah, it's kind of whitewashing, like, like areas that are so rooted in, like, their cultural identity, their working class identity, that, you know, a 16-bedroom Airbnb, <laughs> who wants that? <laughs> but also... But, but also that, like that, for me, and you know, I guess for us, that the, the travesty there is not only that, like, it's in a community which is really working class and is is facing a lot of like, just just a lot of social inequality in general. Is that it's a loss of a family home as well? That like, you know, in Manchester where there's like so much increase in homelessness and there's people waiting on housing lists for years and years. The fact that that you know you can sell to a company that does um, kind of like short term lets or whatever to make profit of, of such like huge amount 
is is kind of yeah the real shame yeah i think what you saying that it's no coincidence that things like whatever for whatever reason the more inner city buildings the expansion of media city people moving to the north because it's cheaper to buy than in london that that isn't a coincidence that the rise and rise of homelessness in manchester has like it's shot through the roof happen when all these other things are happening like you're saying people buying up family homes what's the what's the crack in leads do you know i'm i'm fresh aren't i fresh in leads i don't know um i tell you what i do know though when i was on my rental journey recently trying to find this place um they (laughs) were charging um 850 quid pretty much standard to be 20 25 minutes outside of um the city in like the hype sort of surrounded places um and they didn't even have enough room in the kitchens to have a fridge in it was in the cellar no. yeah so um yeah it's like pretty much standard like 850 to get you know just that sort of distance outside of the city center so you might get like a house or like a bit of a yard or something um and yeah so i looked at a few in in a few areas around here um and yeah so the the, the back-to-back ones so leeds is quite famous for the back-to-back houses um so you've got basically no light coming in from the back so you just straight up into the back of somebody else's house um and you are terrace on the front as well so there's no yard um and yeah so they are sellers um and most of the sellers are not like done out or anything um they're all like spidery and concretey and minging um but yeah 850 quid back to back house no yard or anything straight on the street um and you don't even have a fridge or a washing machine or anything unless it's in the cellar how did they even get in the cellar who put them there what happens if you need to get a new one mental the fear of going going to your fridge yeah and you know one of the other ones that i saw um it was actually pretty close to where i am now actually and it's um (laughs) it was a two bed right so yeah okay cool two bed got there one room was basically a box room and it was being used as a a wardrobe and i'm thinking hmm well i'm sure there's a built-in wardrobe in the main bedroom went in there turns out the built-in wardrobe is actually just a way of hiding the fact that there's a chimney breast an old fireplace and a massive water tank so if you opened the what you thought was a wardrobe it wasn't it was just all this horrible mad shit behind it like exposed bricks and manky shit it wasn't actually a wardrobe oh my god um, people will pay like a grand a month for some exposed brick mate <laughs> not not this exposed brick. <laughs> oh, some actual <laughs> dust what i do know about leads it's the same as anywhere same as anywhere look at me it's like i've got all my leads knowledge but i do know that like the area um kind of where carnival happens so the caribbean carnival yeah. in leeds that area obviously is quite a predominantly black um area because where carnival happens so slightly surrounding that i think it's got those really i don't i don't i'm trying to pretend like i know when they were built and be like Edwardian. i don't know when houses were built they're very old the huge homes family homes things like that and i think they get snapped up now um 
there was one on um, George Clark, you know. Oh, being everybody loves that. Ah, George. Yeah. But, you know, they get snapped up. You know, like a kind of like a home renovation show. Uh, okay. So, like, um, and I think, and I think there was like, is in, in previous years recently, there's been like neighbours complaining about the carnival. So the carnival in Leeds has been fifty. It's definitely over fifty years. A few years ago, it's celebrated its fiftieth. So it's been there for a long time. And people are moving into these areas and then complaining and about noise. It is very loud, you know. But you move into a place where there's a bank holiday weekend carnival. So, um, but yeah, and I think it's another one of those things where. Rent's a little bit cheap. People moving in, buying it, selling it on, making it fancy. But then again, another area where people of colour, working class people, are getting a bit squashed down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, same as same as anywhere really, isn't it? You... Same as London, Brixton, happening in Brixton. <laughs> yeah. Um, what what we will report back on is. There's a hipster working men's club in the new village that I've just moved to. So uh, Selena is going to come over and we're going to go and explore <laughs> it one day. And we'll oh, report me. back. <laughs> it's, so it is legit, right? It has been a working men's club for years. But it's now, I think, owned by, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. It's it's basically like a similar vibe to, you know, Brudenell, which is also, um, I don't know if it still is classed as one, but it was a working men's club. Um, and yeah, like bands come and DJ there and it's like kind of looks hipstery on the Instagram. So I'm keen to see, you know, what, what part of the original exists, what part of it is this new vibe. Um, yeah, I'm keen to see what, what the draft Coke tastes like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I hope you have a really good time at the discotheque. (laughs) I will try. I think I'm getting in my head. I'm getting like mental images of you know, and this is England 1990, where they go to the Manchester night at the Working Men's Club. <laughs> yeah, it's just the two of you lifting it up. <laughs> That's it. Getting wild. Or you know, it could be like um, like any space that gets appropriated and taken over, and we'll turn up being like, hey, yeah, and then it'll just be full of <laughs> lots of middle class people not not letting us live our life. <laughs> Like, in my day, <laughs> mini cheddar's worth 12 pence. <laughs> uh, I've not thought about mini cheddar's for ages. I don't even know where they come from, to be fair. I, I've not even had any. They just popped in my head then. He's <laughs> just thinking about having some mini cheddar. Evidently. <laughs> that is a, a snack that cannot be gentrified. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, it is. It's a weird one, because um, I feel like, you know, people. I don't begrudge people wanting to own a home, because that goes back to what you were saying earlier about when you're renting a space, it's never truly yours, and you can never be 100% safe, knowing that this is where you'll be and you'll not get suddenly moved on. Yeah, and like owning your home is the one way to be like okay so now I'm this is mine and and like you know like your dad said you can do it up then you can make adjustments to it but I think it's that thing and then people that then kind of moving in buying a place but not fully acknowledging that them doing that would then push somebody out if that makes sense yeah Yeah. the bigger picture yeah and it's that whole 
them not being part of the problem, but then a collection of people doing that would make them part of the problem. If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I think I think the safety net stuff, you know, of of not having a safety net we've kind of talked extensively about before and it, it kind of like stems across loads of different I guess intersections of of talking about class and and um like different identities but also I think that like coronavirus stuff has has surely just highlighted that that people just do not have a safety net like that is not the norm that people have a safety net I'd um, like to think it has I'm like surely people and I'm like oh right okay yeah yeah like people who people who are like know their rights or I mean which is fair play like I I really want everybody to be up to the standard of like particularly like renters and tenants to know their rights and and to be kind of have the capacity or like you know drive not drive the capacity and knowledge and confidence rather to to be like to ask their landlord for a rent freeze for example um is it yeah that's I I would love that but it it seems that like that that isn't that isn't the case for most people and the government advice that like particularly around stuff like rent freezes that landlords should act with compassion is really like telling of the idea that you know everybody gets on with their landlord and like Every, you know the, the power balance isn't like wildly unequal and mm, yeah, totally. it's just like absolutely not the case and I think that you know particularly particularly for working class people um again particularly for like working class people of colour it's such a hostile environment to be renting um a lot of the time yeah it's like me and Em were saying on the last we were talking about in regards to like Corona like in and in terms of unions and things like you wouldn't sometimes at work you just put up with stuff even if you think I'm not sure if that's right or wrong because the other option is saying something and then losing your job mm. and you can't possibly I think it's that same thing it's like people like would need to demand rent freezes from your landlord but you're like you're saying if you've not got this harmonious relationship with your landlord and like you don't want to rock the boat because yeah. what could happen they, they could just throw you out of the house yeah it's not having that safety net of being like oh but I'll say something it'll be fine it's either like if I say something it's not fine, then I'm screwed. Yeah. Yeah, your home's on the line, you know, and especially yeah. if you've got a family and it's it's not it's not like you can just go, Oh, do you know what? I'll just move in with my mum. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. in in the world that we're in now with coronavirus, you can't simply go and sleep on your mate's settee or take the kids around your sisters. You just can't. <laughs> so yeah. if you get turfed out, you're literally on your ass. And I think, you know, it's not like, all right, Dave, how's your mum, mate? Yeah, nice one anyway. Are you all right if I just don't pay me rent for three months? Like, it's not it's not like that at all. And, you know, on the last episode as well, we talked about, um, you know, there's all these promises from the government. Yeah, but what about right now? What about today? What about the day that I've run out of money because I've had to spend extra money panic buying shit? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. how, what happens? What happens there? Like, you need the money in your bank today or else yeah. you, you've actually just ruined your credit score. Because yeah. credit scoring's still happening. As far as I know, I've not seen anything to say otherwise. Um, yeah. How how do you navigate all that? That's very real stuff for people that, you know, it, government promises for 
oh, we're talking about it at the moment, it's not going to solve if you're already been turfed out. I think I think that like this, yeah, it's, it's just it's mad to think about that people didn't know that this was going on before coronavirus. I know that like we're talking about it in this context, but like we're pretty clued up in in experiencing the kind of like the bad end of stuff like this in general. And you know, saying that people aren't in the position to 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 ask for a rent freeze because their their homes on the line or whatever. Like people weren't in the position to ask their landlord if they could have like repairs that are well within their rights because yeah. they were threatened with eviction. Um, generally, people were threatened, um, particularly people who are undocumented. You know, there's there's lots of different stuff that kind of sits underneath all that. You know, we. I think tenants union started with some kind of door knocking that was going on in places like Longsite and Levenjoom and they met quite a few families who were living in like really poor conditions which is you know not not something that's uncommon in Manchester at the moment who didn't want to ask their landlord um for repairs in case they increased the rent and they couldn't afford it and you know for a lot of people yeah like they just they just don't have the relationship with their landlord but also they just aren't in a position to to kind of face any more marginalization than they already are and I think that the way that people are talking about coronavirus yeah it highlights it but I think it's we need to have a conversation about the the housing system before coronavirus if that makes sense because mm. i think in like a similar way to grenfell you know after grenfell there was like loads of articles where people were like you know this shows us that we've got a problem with the uk housing system but like every person in that block was like there's a problem with my house and that's, i want to do something about it yeah i was going to bring that up saying like grenfell is a perfect example that people were first of all people like i can't believe this has happened and it's like where have you been like I can't this has happened to people that I well I can believe it, this happened to these people because these people again working class people of colour they're, they're you know and then like you said they weren't being listened to they were saying all this but they weren't being listened to anyway but I don't know it, it it's weird how sometimes it takes a big thing like the tragedy of Grenfell or a global pandemic for other people who haven't had first-hand experience to be like oh so this is things that happen okay right it's like well everyone was telling you but nobody was listening to the people yeah but I think it also raises the question of like what is the line like you just said like there's a global pandemic are people going to forget quite quickly after this is over whenever it's over if it's over yeah they forgot about Grenfell yeah, yeah. Like, I think if it doesn't directly affect somebody, then they think they'll do their whatever at the time. But then, as soon as it doesn't directly affect them, it's kind of like that's a form of activism that doesn't. I don't need to be involved in well, because it doesn't directly affect me. The other side of it as well is the tenants should not be having to ask. If you're a landlord, knowing that this is happening, and the government's saying to you, "Act with compassion," all that sort of stuff. It, every single person who is a landlord at this point to my mind, should be saying, right, this is the situation. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? It mm. shouldn't be that we're, we're going, right, uh, if you, you need to ask your landlord um, to, to have a rent freeze. No, we should be saying to the landlords, 
Hi, landlords, give people a rent freeze. If you're struggling with that, then you go to an agency or you go to whatever government support is happening and we'll help or we'll talk to you about it. It should not be always that the little guy in every situation has to do the work and has to face that power, power dynamic. Why do that? Because they know loads of people are not going to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? And there's no accountability for them landlords either. I think they're still seeing it as an income. Like, oh, absolutely. Uh, that, that, you know, there's there's a huge loss of like people's income uh, globally, and landlords seem to think that they they don't fall into that. <laughs> like yeah. they're they're trying to make money off off property, and you know it's it's not like they're also following strict government guidelines. Like there are people that are still being evicted. I, yeah, I just think that like yeah, I, I'm in complete agreement that it should be it should be the other way around. But I think until then, like that probably highlights the importance of of being part of unions of being part of tenants unions and like mm, the, the kind of strength in numbers if that like yeah it, it is a it is a big thing to ask your landlord for a rent free is like having the help of your community and people like you and and other unions and, and you know people who've got experience of it is is really important yeah for sure and i think when you said there about having people um you know like you and the strength in numbers and and seeing it to be real people as well i think you know we'll see sort of certain um activist groups being you know looking into squatting and stuff like that and there's a lot of people who that would just scare scare them completely you know the idea of of squatting um and again it there's a there's a safety and there's an association with your house being a safe place um i think there's there's the one side of things where it's really important to find out more about what your rights are and, you know, tenants union, etc. And finding out about all these other people that you can identify with and see yourself in and go, OK, that's my struggle as well. Um, and then there's also just controlling that message of how, you know, it's not just we're hearing from the government that these things are happening. It's hearing from your communities and your people Um that there is a way to tackle this or there is support that you can have and there is some some actual like tangible facts um about you know what what will happen to you if you can't pay your rent you know um not this this um feeling of fear and then things that seem to be oh yeah well what you can do is you can just squat from people who quite frankly are, are often not in the situation themselves or haven't experienced that themselves yeah I think what you're saying about activist spaces, like we know that activist spaces, or like I'm, I'm using air quotes around activist. I know you can't see that. Nobody. <laughs> um, they're just they're just often very middle class white places and all yeah. white spaces are there, and yeah, the importance of of being in it, if that being run by or that space being run by like your own community, is really important. I think it's why you know organizations should really think strategically about like not parachuting into an area they don't know it it's also like people don't trust you like I I wouldn't trust I mean probably now I've got experience but like when I was younger like living in Windsor like people wouldn't have trusted an organization to come in and be like let me tell you about this like everyone yeah. like you and I think like all the mutual aid stuff has shown that working class people will self-organize like regardless that they always have they always will 
but I guess it's it's about like resource sharing and like knowledge sharing and kind of like extending people's capacity and 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 supporting in that way like we like especially like a tenant union we wouldn't ever like want to go into a community and and be like this is what's right and this is what you need to do and like blah 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 like yeah I think that's that's a given a given to most people I definitely think because I feel like the kind of activist spaces I've been in recently because I've been doing like working alongside um lots of kind of migrant women's groups um women who've got like no recourse to public funds and things like that and it kind of for me I, I went in there and I was like oh this is this is a space where I want to be not like I want to come in and take over their space mm. but these were women who who they are they are activists they are fighting for like their own rights but they they definitely represented that kind of strength in numbers and having knowledge by sharing it with each other and that I like sharing their stories and their journeys as well like they liked going to these groups and these spaces because it made them feel like more empowered and I think like that's what a group should do yeah and they've all learned so much from each other and I feel like it's definitely you want a space or a group or a network that does that as opposed to like you say somebody just coming in being like this is what what it is this is what you need to do we're here to tell you how how, how your lives are going wrong and how to fix them <laughs> well it's that concept that you know we talked about when we first started poor lass it's you know you go to events and then it's like this this talk of like bringing a double decker bus through an estate and try and recruit people because you know these people don't know what to do and, and they don't know that there are other things that they could be doing or their own rights or you know we we need to tell them and free them it's like this sort of approach, you know, like if you find yourself going into, um, you know, a community space or you're volunteering for a group and at no point have you heard what the people actually want you to do, they, they should be saying to you, this is what we need. And you should be saying, OK, I'm listening. I have this resource and I can help. Right. Or that that's how it should be communicated it definitely shouldn't be we're here to save you oh by the way can i just take a picture with you on my instagram <laughs> yeah yeah and i I'm, i feel like i'm hoping that with with the uh with the with whatever's going on with coronavirus that it isn't but we have seen like communities, but communities do that anyway. And I don't want it to have been like everyone has, is just doing it for the for the chufty badge of people. <laughs> and then as soon as it's all over, everyone moves out, and then all these groups are then like, what do we do now? They told us they help us with this, or they, you know, mm-hmm. I don't yeah, want exactly. that to happen. Yeah, it's about like authenticity and like what you're saying and creating authentic relationships with people. And like, yeah, no, I I, I completely agree. I think that like the conversation that you know that we're having around it's really good to see mutual aid groups and it's really like you know as we've, we've said that like solidarity is really important but also like on the other side of it it's really exposed people who are like willing to talk to the police about people that they see outside or like are getting really angry or like I saw on Facebook that you know somebody there's like bins outside um bin bags outside our house and somebody took a picture of it and put it on Facebook and people were commenting on it saying that we were subhuman scum 
And like, <laughs> I know, I know it was wild, but like, I think it's also kind of highlighted that, that people, people at any point can like drop that solidarity part if they feel that they're like threatened in any way. And I think yeah. the part of the like, longevity and the like authenticity of the relationships is is keeping that solidarity in and kind of pushing more like positive stuff not like you not to be like one of those people that's like I only want to think figures on happy things but like yeah it's it's kind of real shown shown this um this sense of like wanting to like rat on your neighbor a little bit do you know what I mean yeah I think that it was making me think as well about how it, it is a telling thing as well, like this whole now how the government are getting angry at obviously we don't want people crowding in parks, but then people getting annoyed at the amount of people in public spaces and I'm like, you might live in a house with a big massive garden, but a lot of people live they live in terrace houses with tiny backyards, they live in rooms with not many windows, they live in tower blocks. You know, not everybody has access to these outdoor spaces. And I think that's, again, it's kind of that thing where people turn around being like, it's all these people, you know. There's always an easy finger to turn around and point, and it's usually the working class. Yeah, yeah. totally. The people with less choice. Yeah, it's always like, it's these people, it's always their fault. And then, and it's quite telling and easy to see when people turn around and go, yes, yes, it is. And it's like, is it though? Maybe you should just think about what you're saying. Yeah, I think like people making decisions like, you know, from their houses, from their windows, like being a curtain switcher, being like, oh, he's out, like he shouldn't be out, like having some some kind of like space to think about. Well, they might be out for a reason. Um, they might actually be a key worker. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't call the police because actually the police will be really oppressive and are oppressive. And yeah, I think um. I hope I hope that this time of solidarity continues, but also we we kind of see that that other side die down a bit because it's quite bleak. I would yeah. love to see um, the police also making something out of this and actually saying to people, right, this is a waste of our time. <laughs> like these are some questions that you need to ask, or you know, be at least a bit sure of before you call us with your silly, you know, spying on comments. Like, for example, I saw one um, and it was to do with, like, the, the person had, had left a note and said, I've seen you going out every day. You're not wearing a uniform, so you're not a key worker. Like, what ignorance is that? Mm. Do, like, there are so many different things. You have no idea of, of anybody else's existence. And they're not, you know, you're not the person who makes the rules. I think there's that, there's a massive level of privilege at play in anybody who does that. Um, yeah. because there is no understanding of like what a key worker actually is or what they do you know have you ever worked for a place that makes you wear a tabard and you leave the house in the tabard <laughs> <laughs> like do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah oh dear yeah it's pretty bleak that like that, that goes on but yeah I, 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 I kind of just had a reflection then that almost in a way that was like similar to around the general election that I'm living in hope in a, in a way of that like this what this has created in terms of like yeah movements and, and solidarity and stuff um, will continue but I guess it's about how we continue it and I hope that 
maybe us, us even having a podcast like this or like you know work beyond this is is going to do that yeah um, I think yeah. whenever I always feel a bit helpless or overwhelmed or just like oh the world's a big mess which is often <laughs> I think about about grassroots kind of stuff and communities and people and then if I think about that I think, I think about it more on a smaller scale and I think about all the good that people do within their communities and for the right reasons then it makes me feel a bit better and I feel like that's kind of what I need to focus on here and I think what so and that, but it's that thing that when something goes away that for example again Grenfell how they were doing that but they got ignored and I guess I just have to hold on to the hope that the more we do that and the more that people do that then the more people will listen um because uh, I'm always about taking up space it's like the more of us take up space and be loud about it then hopefully who those who can then hopefully then then that will spread is that does that make sense does that sound a bit hippie yeah <laughs> no it totally doesn't I think you know we also need that an, an equal push for that that other level of putting accountability onto those places from um people who aren't just the actual people living that life yeah we need more people to step up and help and listen and volunteer and help organize resource if that's part of their job or if they just have you know the spare time the money um anything that people can do to help people it needs to kind of come from both ways because we know historically that you know like you just said with Grenfell you can do that all you want but sometimes people are just not listening how can we affect the the other side of like almost like influencers but if influencers was a nicer <laughs> a nicer situation like you know rather than having Chris Martin sing over YouTube with Gary Barlow or some kind of situation like that you know <laughs> it's Probably about no they don't um you know how can we how can we get more push from and I think generally speaking it, it does happen more you do see um people of a lot more influence and reach getting involved in this stuff but really not not enough not in a yeah. way that is actually listening to what the people want you know and, and and representing people and saying do you know what I met with these people today and this is what's happening this is what they need who can help you know this food bank has literally ran out today who can help this it takes two yeah. seconds to repost something um yeah so I think I think it needs to be both as well and, and people yeah. who are listening to this if you feel you have the resource spare ha- like have a think about how you know you can help whether it's just sharing a post or donating something or just having a conversation with someone who makes a stupid comment about people out of their window you know how can we all help yeah it's like if you're in a position to be shouting and sharing rent freeze nobody don't pay your rent let's have a rent strike (laughs) yeah that's because you're in a comfortable position Mm. or you you know then maybe instead of stop and think and look into how that might not be possible for some people and in ways that you could help those people yeah or encourage them to join a tenancy union there you go (laughs) (laughs) yes so on on that note rachel how how do people go about it what's the sort of next steps um if you go on the website um which i believe is tenants union 
www.ghostbusters.co.uk. Um, you can sign up to volunteer. We've got, oh, it's tenantunion.org.uk. Sorry, I am rubbish. Um, <laughs> there's a section on how you can join. Um, and you can email. Um, so you can email me, which is Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, at tenantsunion.org.uk. Um, but yeah, basically you can... Um, drop us an email you can sign up on the website um you can testify so you can send us um basically send us like a summary of what your current situation is and um, we also have like weekly uh, catch-up calls with different housing activists and um great manchester law center who are doing a really good job in condensing kind of new legal information that's coming in and and sharing that with tenants and renters um, so yeah there's loads of different ways that you can get involved but if you want to become a member it's via the website um, which I think is fairly easy to navigate but if not give me a message and yeah I can I can help you out so um, is there opportunities to volunteer yeah so there's opportunities to volunteer beyond COVID-19 but um, yeah at the moment we've got some COVID-19 volunteering um positions available um so we're kind of our work stream at the moment is focused on three different areas one is digital organizing so that's kind of um organizing uh, tenants and renters um kind of updating on legal advice thinking about campaigns that we can do at the moment um particularly stuff around like rent freezes um stop evictions like things like that um we have advice assemblies which i guess is kind of similar to things that we've been talking about in this podcast that's really a, a collection of tenants and renters giving advice to each other, much more like solidarity based and, oh, and nice. knowledge sharing and, and leadership building amongst each other. Um, and then there's the webinar and podcast series of which this is the first. Um, yeah, so I think that uh, this is the, the stuff that I'm working on at the moment. Um, and I think that broadly, like it's important that we've we focus on how housing, as I said, intersects with lots of different social inequalities and um, how we focus on how the housing system wasn't designed with people in mind prior to this um, and that we really put tenants and renters at the heart of what we're trying to do. Um, and also that we we encourage people to be involved who who may have been put off, who may think that potentially we could have been one of those those organisations that we were talking about who kind of parachute into communities, but that's that's <laughs> definitely not at all what it is. Um, so, yeah, I think I would encourage people to be a part of a tenants' union um, in general anyway, because I think if you if you are somebody who, you know, who is worried about contacting your landlord or um, or, or just want to know, like, your rights or or anything along those lines, then, then you can reach out to us and we can also connect you to people in your area. I think, with, like we were saying on the last episode, um, with any union, it is just that thing where sometimes you just don't know. Yeah. You're right, so you don't know if this is, something is wrong or right, and I think it is so good just to have that, you know, what they call like back pocket knowledge. Yeah, definitely. You just, if somebody tells you something's one way, and they've got the kind of, in the terms of the power structure, they they are they are the ones holding the power. You're just going to say, yeah, okay, yeah, and you're like, yeah, that must be right. So I think it's good just to know where where you where you stand. Mm, totally. And Rachel, what what are the other things to expect from your series? 
so I'm going to do some stuff around policing, um, how the introduction of the new police powers um, are going to have a negative impact on working class uh, communities and communities of colour. I'm going to do some stuff around young people as community leaders um, during COVID-19. I'm going to do some stuff around disability and chronic illnesses um, and art. Um, this is just off the top of my head. I'm going to do stuff with Roxy from Kids of Colour. Hi, Roxy, if, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so there's going to be quite a few different things. Um, maybe I'll publish a list that people can sign up to. But equally, if people have an idea or something that they're good at or, you know, something that they're interested in and they want to do a podcast or a webinar um, with Tenants Union, then they can just give me a message. And, uh, yeah, we can arrange that. So uh, where can people find you and all of this stuff? So where can where can people go for the links and things like that? Is there one social um, link or? So I haven't published the list yet, but I will do. Um, I can write a blog, a blog post about it. Um, but also if people want to get in contact with me um, and I can give them kind of like an overview of what's coming up. But I can produce a calendar. This is the first one. So I'm getting some dates in at the moment. But well, that'll be I'll be on the uh, website. On the, web, on the website, yeah. Excellent. And as a reminder for people, what what's the website again? It's tenantsunion.org.uk. So everyone can get the little pens and papers out, and they can make a note, <laughs> or you can type it into your mobile phone, and you're all be set, ready and waiting. <laughs> Lovely. Well, was there anything else we wanted to talk about? no lovely well there we go you should all be in uh, a union anyway so <laughs> be more holly and be join a union and then tell everybody to be in a union and then also be more rachel and focus on <laughs> tenants union in particular um so yeah thank you for for joining us and thanks for letting us collaborate with you because obviously this is a real um you know it has a massive overlap with with class um and yeah it's been great talking to you as ever thank you good i've got crumpets this time oh, oh. no crisp sandwiches for you <laughs> oh i forgot about the crisp sandwiches as well <laughs> oh i also have my burberry nails done last time damn it oh, yeah. oh you I did am, i am in a pink velour tracksuit this time so i'm glad to hear it luxury living it up (laughs) (laughs) awesome well yeah thanks and uh, see you on the internet (laughs) (laughs) bye